Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of the Renegade Movement and Performance Podcast. I'm Lex. And I'm Kyle. And today we're going to be talking about pain. So the, What a fun topic. <laughs> the title of this episode is No Pain, No Gain. And you'll notice, uh, unlike the traditional convention of NO pain, NO gain, as in if you don't have pain, you won't have any gains, it's K-N-O-W. And oh, so yeah. today we're going to be talking about... <laughs> What does that mean to no pain? Uh, K-N-O-W, right? So first of all, we have to address what pain is, okay? Because uh, there is a common misconception that pain is an input to the brain, okay? In response to tissue damage. So that's our first kind of thread here is tissue damage and pain. So go ahead, Lex, give us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's really important to know that you don't have to have tissue damage in order to have pain, but also the vice versa. You can have damage, quote unquote, but not have pain. Because basically what we're getting at here is that your soft tissues cannot create a pain response. So let's just say you have a strain, let's say, of a muscle. That muscle is not able to output pain. If that makes sense. So you want to build on that a little bit? So the body has nociceptors, which are uh, maybe misnomer uh, or mis mislabeled as pain receptors. However, they are probably more adequately labeled threat receptors. Yeah. So these nociceptors pick up signals in response to tissue damage, but that's only one kind of information stream, right? So the body has receptors for all kinds of different stimuli. We can feel hot and cold, so temperature. We can feel vibration, uh, light touch, deep touch, different types of pressures. Pressures, yeah. Uh, there are many, many, so many receptors. It's kind of the theory there, right? So with all of that, it's just information. No matter what type of receptor, right? If, if something vibrates and touches us, that's vibratory information. If something is heavy and it goes onto our, our leg, for say, wherever, and it puts deep pressure on the leg, we get information that there's deep pressure in that area. But that's all it is, is information that we're getting re receptors of whatever type stimulated. And it's just information until it gets to the brain. And so all that is saying is that your brain does not perceive pain, and then you perceive that brain telling you you're in pain. It's actually the exact opposite. Your brain outputs pain. So it's not something that you have a receptor for. Yeah, so the old theory was, for instance, you drop an anvil or something very heavy onto your foot, breaks your foot, whatever, creates actual mechanical tissue damage, okay? Can we just stop for a second? You just said an anvil. You could have said, like, a weight, <laughs> anything. Anyways, continue. All right, you take... Somebody didn't know how to re-rack their weights and put a 45 on the top shelf where the two and a halfs go, and you tried to take that off, and it slipped out of your hand because it was your first set. And you drop it on your foot. There you go. Perfect. Not an animal. Okay, it's a 45 pound. An old steel one. Not even a bumper plate. Oh, God. At any rate, that creates mechanical damage to your foot, right? So that's all it is at that point, though, is the receptors picking up that something has changed. There is tissue damage or trauma or however you want to call that going on because you just dropped that plate or anvil or whatever you have on your foot, okay? <laughs> so it is not pain until that information goes up to the supercomputer that is your brain okay the old theory was that's pain it goes up as an input to the brain the new theory is 
that happens, you get that information going up to the brain still, sure, but it's not pain until the brain processes that information in conjunction with all the other information it's processing. Like so, your past experiences, anything that you ever had happen to you prior. So someone, let's just say you get stung by a bee and you remember getting stung by a bee and something something bad connected with that experience. The next time you get stung by a bee, it'll probably hurt a little bit more. Yeah, so... Yes. And so basically what goes on is your brain says, all right, I know that that happened, right? My past experience is I dropped something on my foot, you know, two months ago and it hurt or I stubbed my toe the other day and it's already hurting, whatever it is. Your brain has all that past context of what Lex is saying. So that's one stream of data is your past experience with things like this or this type of situation. It also has a stream of data from yes, you dropped a weight on your foot and you're getting the, the nociception or the tissue damage uh, signals going up to the brain, but you're also getting deep pressure. You're getting what temperature is my foot. You're getting, is there something vibrating underneath my foot? Maybe there's a fan on by you, whatever else it is, right? You're getting all of that data and it's all just data until the brain then processes it and makes an output in response to that. Is a threat to my system. It is going to produce pain as an output from the brain, from that supercomputer. Because what do we do when we have pain, right? If if your elbow or your sh shoulder or something is hurting you, what do we do? We clutch that arm, kind of like the sling position close to our belly, we don't use it, right? When something hurts, we don't use it. Yeah, so that leads us into one of the big things that we constantly talk about in physical therapy, um, just imaging in general. A lot of people put a lot of weight on imaging, which is fine, but imaging, it doesn't exactly tell you the whole story. You know, the classic phrase, where, did you get that from someone? Uh, if I did, I, yeah, I'm so sure I, I did. Remember. Everything comes from somebody else, right? But, but basically a picture is worth a thousand words, but it definitely doesn't tell the whole story. So you got to think that if you have an image taken, whether it's an x-ray, MRI, CT scan, it's telling the story in that exact moment. So it's not telling your story as you're performing activities, etc. So the biggest thing that you see with imaging is someone will think they need an image to see what the problem is. So sure, let's get an image. Let's see what's going on in there. However, someone with, let's just, let's go with the classic disc herniation. Someone can have a disc herniation present on an x-ray or an MRI and not have any pain at all. And then vice versa, someone can have a lot of pain and have a disc herniation, and then they'll see that disc herniation on there, and magically their pain will get worse because they finally see that, and they see what they would perceive as damage. So it takes a lot, and I don't, do you agree? It takes a lot of education to explain to people that just because your image says one thing does not mean that it is the result of your pain. You know, it's, it, it's correlation, not causation. Well, something, yeah, to illustrate the point, something that I see clinically a lot is people will come in and they have osteoarthritis and let's use a knee for an example. So when you take an x-ray of a knee, uh, there is a scale to grade it as far as how much osteoarthritis is present. It's a four point scale. It's called the Kelgren and Lawrence scale, but that's really not relevant. What is relevant is four would be the most severe osteoarthritis in the knee that we see on an x-ray. Okay. So that's what a, uh, medical professional would say bone on bone. That's classic. Uh, we always <laughs> laugh a little bit when we hear, <laughs> I have the bone on bone. <laughs> so at any rate, we see people who come in with a Kelgren and Lawrence scale 
grade of four, meaning they have the most severe osteoarthritis in their knee possible. And we get them moving and get them stronger and they're able to go back to the activities they like. So there's a disconnect there. And I've actually had people ask me, well, wait a minute, didn't I have, you know, grade four osteoarthritis in my knee? Isn't it bone on bone? How am I going to make that any better? And so you're saying they don't believe you with about the exercise. Well, they have this problem and then they don't understand why exercise would help. Well, and exactly because the, yeah. I'm illustrating the point that the imaging shows something yeah. and then they end up not having that problem, even though the imaging is indicating, well, you should have a problem right? or vice versa. So the image will show that they don't have OA in their knee or they have very little, if any, and they have severe pain in their knee. Right. And so it goes both ways. And that just illustrates the point that having tissue damage does not equate to having pain and vice versa. You definitely do not need to have tissue damage to have pain, for sure. And that kind of uh, can also be illustrated by what's what we refer to as the snake bite story. And that's from Lorimer Mosley's Painful Yarns. Lorimer is a expert in the field of modern pain science. So the story goes, and I believe this is based on a true story. The story goes that a gentleman was out in the woods and he was walking around. I believe he was wearing shorts, not pants. Uh, and so what happened, which is super relevant, but what happened was he's walking out in the woods here and he thought he got scratched by a stick. Ends up the stick was actually a snake that had bit him and he almost died. So he survived. Flash forward now. He is walking through the woods again. Apparently hasn't learned his lesson to wear snake boots or whatever you have. And uh, gets scratched by a, a stick. And this time it is just a stick, not a snake. 10 out of 10, 20 out of 10, whatever it is, searing pain, drops him to his knees, and his buddies are probably laughing at him at this point because they're like, dude, you walked into a little stick, you got scratched, but he's on the ground in the worst pain probably of his life, right? Why is that? It was a stick scratch. Because what happened was his brain learned from that past experience, and this is what Lex was alluding to earlier, his brain learned from that past experience of last time you felt you got a little scratch in your leg, you almost died. So next time you have a scratch on your leg, that same scenario out in the woods, scratch on the leg, that's going to be registered as last time this happened, I almost died. Therefore, massive pain as an output of the brain because it's a huge threat. So threat equals produce pain so that we protect ourselves. And so he got laughed off by his buddies, I guess, and eventually realized it was just a scratch from a stick and therefore had uh, reduced pain after that. But it took some processing and some information, some more input to decrease that threat level, to decrease the pain. That kind of relates into what we're going to go in with movement. You know, you have pain with certain movements, let's just say. And we, we put up a post on our Instagram a little bit ago from Dr. Perry Nicholson. He said, pain is a request for change. So what we, what we said and what we meant by that was that just because you're in pain does not mean you have an injury. However, if you are in pain and you are fighting through pain to perform a movement, something needs to change. It, your body is telling you, your brain is telling you that this something is not okay. It is just not okay right now. We need to move. We need to change something. So where, you know, how does that relate to pain and how you feel pain? Well, if you keep doing the movement the same way, you're going to keep having pain. And we call that a neurotag. So let's just say every time we do a clean, we have pain. So now when we do cleans and we consistently do cleans and we consistently have pain, we're now associating that, let's say, front rack position with pain. 
Right. It's, yeah. Or it could be anything, right? Stairs or sitting into a yeah. chair or anytime I move my leg this way, it kills my hip. Whatever it is, yeah. we are developing in our brain a predictive response in in response to that certain set of data. So whenever I feel this, that, and the other thing and I get these different data points, I am going to perceive that as a threat and produce pain because I know that last time I got that same set of data points, it was a problem and therefore I'm going to protect myself. And so then you get, like Lex is saying, if you had pain in a clean because of whatever set of data points caused uh, the brain to register that as threat, next time you clean, that might happen. And what she's saying is you can develop neurotags and that's what a neurotag is, is a response predictive response because last time you had that same set of data it was perceived as a threat and therefore you did have pain as an output right and people actually even end up avoiding activities for that reason so if you have a neurotag developed and you've figured out that every time you do this thing you get this certain set of data that's perceived as a threat and you have that pain eventually we learn to avoid doing those things altogether so that actually leads into another topic too, because you know when we have that repetitive pain, it leads to what we call cortical smudging. So just kind of backing up a little bit, the brain has a representation of our entire body within itself. So there's actually a map inside our brain that shows every part of our body. Some body parts are bigger than others because they have more representation. Let's take your fingertips, for example. And some have a little bit less and less uh, space within the brain, like your low back. So when you have repetitive pain over and over and over again, what the brain does is it dissociates from that area. So I always think about it like a chalkboard. So if you have a, a word written out on the chalkboard or that body part, you got to think of it like you take your hand and smudge just that little bit of area on the chalkboard. And now when you look at it, you can just see that smudge but then all the other body parts are okay. Now, when we do physical therapy intervention, which we'll talk about soon, our whole goal is to bring that area back into focus. So it's like rewriting that text over that smudge. And the thing is, is when you have that smudge, you got to think the only thing the brain is there to do is to protect you. It wants to keep you alive. And all it knows is what you give to it. So it lives in the dark. It only knows the sensory stimuli that it, it is given. So if you keep giving it the same stimulus, it will keep giving you the same output because it doesn't understand anything else. So that alludes to the topic of, or the theory that sensory input drives motor output. So the like Lex is saying, the brain is predictive and responds to certain stimuli with a motor output. So for instance, even just standing upright, if we're standing there and we start to fall forward, it responds with certain muscle groups uh, contracting in order to bring us back to midline and keep us standing upright. So we're getting into a lot of more nerdy, complex ideas here. And I think at this point, it's good to talk about the so what, like what the hell does this even matter, dude? So when we're talking about pain as an output of the brain in response to perceived threat due to stimuli that it received and perceived as a threat, when we're talking about that, the so what is we can then give an area a different set of data points or different stimuli in order to change the perception about that area and change the perception of threat. 
So one way we do this when we help people out with it is through the use of passive modalities. And what we mean by passive modalities is massage or tape, taping or using the ISTM tools, uh, which people usually know as scraping. What we're doing with those things, and there's many of them, but what we're, that's a few. What we're doing with those things is giving the brain some other type of data point or sensory information about that area. So what I like to say to people is if, and if you're like most people, uh, you're probably a little bit scared of the dark and or ocean or lake water that's really deep or muddy and we can't see in uh, full full transparency, I am. <laughs> I will not swim in the ocean. I don't like the dark. I carry lots of flashlights and I definitely don't like to swim in water I can't see much in. But yeah, Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, so a lot of us as humans are scared of those things because it's fear of the unknown, right? We can't see in the dark. We can't see what's in the water. So we don't know what's going to happen, what could be a threat. Therefore, we are fearful of it. Well, our brain does the same thing. If it's not 100% sure, and this ties back into what Lex was talking about with cortical smudging, if it's not sure exactly what's going on in an area because of the way we've been moving, because of our experience and the data points it has been receiving and perceiving as threat, it's like, what the hell's going on there? So if we give it some kind of stimulus, as in the tape, the tooling, the massage, or maybe ultimately what's best is movement, which we'll get into in a second, but... When we give it that different data point or set of data points, it can then say, hey, maybe there isn't as much of a threat here. I do know what's going on in that area. I have a better idea of it. And beyond that, beyond reducing pain by giving it a different input to the area, we also are giving it an input to the area. So you have better awareness, right? Better awareness means you're going to probably move the area better. That's the whole reason that there are mirrors in a lot of commercial gyms because it's feedback. In that case, it's a visual feedback, right? But when we use the um, different touch or... Vibration. Yeah, taping. Heating. Whatever we're using for a stimulus, it's anything. the same thing. It's feedback about the area. Whereas the gym was visual feedback, those are just different forms of feedback talking to different receptors. Right. So that is how we can use passive modalities to help improve or decrease pain and improve movement form. Now, that's good, I think, as a starting point to do what we call put the fire out, right? So if you are having a decent amount of pain, what we need to do probably is address that first so that our brain isn't stuck in protect. Yeah, it's like, I feel like some people come in, what you see clinically, and they just expect that you're going to make them push through pain the entire time. And just you know, like, no pain, no gain, you know, N-O pain, no gain. And that's just not the case because the last thing that we want to do is tell you to push through your pain. Right. You don't want to reinforce that experience of every time I do this, it's a threat, therefore pain. Right. And that's that's just completely silly. Um, and not to mention pushing through that, like Kyle's saying, you're just going to keep getting that same stimulus. But how the heck do you expect to get better if you never have something different? And not to mention, you're going to hate coming to see us. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, this person makes me hurt. That's just, that's silly. Yeah, which is different than you're hitting your metabolic threshold on a more cardio-based wad or something, and so you hit that metabolic threshold and life sucks, and it's just a embrace the suck, right? That's kind of a pain or something that we can push through. That's typically where I go into your pain or not your pain. Like if someone has knee pain, let's just say, and we're doing exercise, and they're like, oh, it hurts. I'm always 
you know, then asking them a question, well, is it your pain or is it muscles working? And more often than not, it's typically muscles working, not my pain. Because if it was their pain, we'd obviously back off. Which is sometimes hard to discriminate between because when we right. have an area, we just talked about cortical smudging, we don't have as good yep. an idea what's going on. Well, then it's harder to discern between is my are my quads burning right now because I haven't used them in a while or in this way? Or is it actually I'm getting that same set of circumstances that produced the problem I'm coming to you to, to help me with in the first place? Right. So that kind of covers how we can use passive modalities. Let's talk about exercise now. Yeah. So, I mean, I also use passive with exercise too. So yeah. with exercise, you can have someone perform an exercise under different circumstances where they won't have pain. So we have to create safety. Our number one is creating safety. So let's just say you have low back pain when you do a certain motion. So the first thing we're going to do is perform that motion in a safe position. So let's say every time you bend forward, you have pain. Well, what we can do instead is lay you on your back and bring your knees to your chest. That is the same motion as bending forward and you're less likely to have pain because you're not in that threatful position that it's your a, brain is interpreting. It's a very different experience for a the brain. very different experience. Although it's the same motion. Exactly. So when you bring your knees to the chest and you're not having pain, that motion is occurring, at, you know, bending forward at your spine. And your brain's getting feedback saying, oh, it's the same motion I do standing up, but it's not hurting. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly, a lot of people will have problems with squats or something, right? Barbell, mm -hmm. back squats, or front, whatever they're doing for a squat. Yeah. And you've trained squats for years, and all of a sudden it started to hurt your back or whatever, and you're like, what the fuck? This sucks. <laughs> and so <laughs> like you, you do what everybody wants to do, and you keep training, but you can't do the squats anymore, so you go and you try like a leg press, and you're like, okay, this kind of works my legs, but it's kind of not as cool, but whatever, I'll try it, and the leg press is fine. It's that same knees to chest, hips and knees bending, squatting type pattern, with some load even, maybe you can even push a lot of weight there and it doesn't hurt your back, whereas a squat does. Now, mechanically, there's a lot of different demands there, but what Lex is saying, and I agree, is, and that, that you know, that illustrates the point of you can do something very similar in order to start to reintroduce that same pattern, that same set of stimuli, but in a very different context and allow for change and allow for the brain to stop perceiving that set of circumstances as a threat. And what that does is that creates that neurotag, the new neurotag. So when you repeatedly, repeatedly do something, you know, whether we start in on your back or we start in sitting, whatever it is, you're creating a new neurotag for that motion and for that movement for the brain to respond to. So now we're bending forward in different ways. We're moving the spine in the same exact way. And we're creating a neurotag that says, this is okay. I am safe. I am not going to output pain. So the key to that is we're avoiding pain in those situations. Clearly, that's exactly what we want to do. And what we're going to do is slowly progress into more demanding positions, if you will. So we'll go from sitting and then we'll go to sitting and to half kneeling and then we'll stand. You know, and standing is always last because gravity sucks. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have patients, they have all these problems in standing. We sit them down, they're fine. Well, there's a couple things going on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're working against gravity all the time. So likely when you developed a pain experience, it was in gravity. some kind of an anti-gravity <laughs> position. Also, neurodevelopmentally, as babies, we develop laying on our backs and then rolling over onto our stomachs. 
and then starting to get up into quadruped or hands and knees and then crawling and creeping in the whole nine yards, standing, walking, whatever. So when you go back to that lower level of demand or less anti-gravity, then it becomes a lot less of a threatful position for us. Right, exactly. That's why you get up on a balance, like you might be able to stand one foot in front of the other, you get up on a balance beam and it's the same exact position. Maybe on the floor you can stand one foot in front of the other, no problem. On a balance beam, which is essentially just an elevated floor, a little narrower, right? You stand one foot in front of the other and it's you're all over the place because higher level of threat up there. So Right, exactly. And so that just kind of leads into the fact that we're not pushing through pain. We're learning new ways to, or the same way to move in better, less threatful positions and developing new neuro tags. So, and that, that's all we're going for. You know, that's how you get people to do those positions that they once had pain in. You slowly introduce in safe positions. And then one day they're able to do the thing that they couldn't do prior. Graded exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Brings us into graded exposure. So graded exposure is the concept or idea that we can start with baby steps basically and instead of if you've ever seen like an exponential curve on a graph or something where it's just like slowly increasing and then all of a sudden it jumps up to a data point right we're not doing that we're doing the linear graph that's a nice very slow gentle slope right easing back into the thing and you can also have the backwards movement too yeah it's not always that linear up too you can always jump back and forth anyway yeah so but yes, yeah, so great exposure, easing into something, right? Mm-hmm. How is that working? What we're doing is working through some neuro tags, not through pain, but working through the experience of pain and saying, okay, when you do your squats, you have pain. Maybe that's with 400 and something pounds on the bar. So let's go back to just air squats here. Do your air squats. Do you have any pain with it? Man, maybe a tiny bit of discomfort. Really not that much though. I'm probably okay. Because your brain is still like, this is the same pattern. This is still against gravity, but not with that same load on my back. So it's like, am I okay? I'm not really sure. So you might have a tiny bit of discomfort, but not too much. So we're not pushing through pain. We're just kind of feeling out the movement, right? And you do air squats. And eventually you do enough air squats over time, enough repetitions, and your brain decides that, hey, this is okay for us. Then we start maybe adding a little bit of weight to those air squats. And it's like, man, am I okay? I'm not, I'm not sure. You do enough reps on those. Eventually it says, okay, I guess I'm fine. We keep doing this. And it doesn't seem to be that there's any increase in threat. And then so on and so forth until we get all the way back to where we need to be. So that's kind of the concept of graded exposure as it relates to pain science in the brain. Right. And like, and with that too, that graded exposure, when you're starting down at the bottom and you're still having, you know, that safety and movement, or you progress to a new demand such as you move from on your back to half kneeling sometimes we'll add passive modalities like a tool to the motion um, like the IASTM tools because you'll give that what I always call a confusing stimulus to the brain while you're moving and then you may not have pain yeah just adding another type of data point for it to work yeah you're just you're confusing that brain and you're giving it different stimulus while it's moving or while you're moving and that's, yeah, and same thing with flossing, like if everybody's familiar with voodoo flossing, those rubber bands you kind of wrap around traditionally ankles and forearms, I feel like, but knees as well, mm-hmm. or knee wraps, knee sleeves, mm-hmm. right? That's all those are doing is adding some kind of data point, some information, some sensory stimulus to whatever movement, in this case, squats or whatever our example is, adding that data point for our brain to decrease threat and allow us to do what we need to do. Exactly. Another topic that we kind of should talk about, I think, is 
the subjective nature of pain. So people often say that uh, pain is subjective, yeah. my pain is not your pain, so on and so forth. We, we see this as people come into the clinic and they're like, you know, I bumped my toe. <laughs> and you're like, okay, zero to 10, which I hate asking this question because it's kind of it's, invalid for a lot of reasons, I think. But it's the worst question ever. Zero to 10, 10 being worst pain you ever felt, zero being none at all. Where is your pain at today? And uh, <laughs> so we asked that question. People are like, oh, I stubbed my toe 10, 10 years ago. And they're like, it's a 12 out of 10 pain. And so the traditional pain model would have us say, yeah, this person's nuts. <laughs> yeah. But what we know now, right, is that that person might be experiencing 12 out of 10 pain because of whatever set of sensory information they're receiving and perceiving as a threat, right? And their context, their movement history, what happened in their life that their brain is making decisions based off of is drastically different than what happened in my life or Lex's or whoever else's. So that's how we can get to the point of pain being subjective and what might be I stubbed my toe and it's 12 out of 10 for this person is yeah I stubbed my toe it didn't even hurt for a second I'm fine right and so individualized you know you never we would never say well oh is it really a 10 because it just doesn't one it doesn't give the person confidence in you because it says you know you're not taking me seriously my pain is a 10 and secondly like Kyle's saying that pain is very individualized. If he stubs his toe and I stub my toe, it's probably going to hurt one of us more than the other because of some past experience. And here's a good example of that. So one of the things that Mosley and Butler and a lot of other experts in the pain science field have discovered through research is playing group sports as a kid. And so when you play a group sport as a child, you're likely to, even if it's a lesser, a less physical or less uh, hazardous, shall we say, sport. Well, even even any, like being in a club, anything, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever yes. it is. What's going to happen is at some point you're going to have some kind of scenario where you get enough sensory information for your brain to start saying, is this a threat? Right. So what happens though is if you're by yourself, you're only drawing on your own experience and you're only drawing on the context of the situation. When you're in one of those group sports or clubs or whatever it is as a kid, you're drawing on your own experience, yes, but also the people around you. So your brain's sitting there registering whatever it is, right? You uh, were playing lawn darts or... <laughs> okay, I had a little bit of a crazy childhood sometimes. Uh, maybe should have been supervised a little bit more. But anyway, what happens is you, you have that scenario, whatever it might be, that the brain is sitting there saying, is this a threat to me or not? With peers around you, you're much more likely to be guided into don't be a wuss, rub some dirt in it, son. This happened to me. Everybody's saying, fine, right? And basically what happens is the group convinces you in that moment that you're okay and it's going to be fine. It gives your brain that perception of safety, whereas it might have not decided that if you were alone. And so what they found in these studies is that kids who have played sports or been in group clubs, stuff like that, as children, develop a higher pain tolerance, if you will, which I don't like saying that, but a better ability to perceive whatever stimulus that could be predicted as painful, they perceive that as less of a threat and therefore have less pain overall when certain things happen. Well, it's like dialing back. It's even like moms and children. When a child falls on the cement, if a mom is like, oh my God, are you okay? And freaking out when they just, you know, fall on the, fall on the ground, they're going to perceive that instance that when they fall on the ground they are hurt and they need for lack of better terms they need help 
Right. Whereas if um if you choose to say to your kid, you know, you're okay, you're fine, just get up, you're good, then they're going to say, oh, I fell on the ground, I hit my knee, I'm okay, and keep moving. And yeah. that's just over and over again. You know, that's just a simple. <laughs> I skinned my knee. I started to sob about it. And then dad smacked me on the back of the head and said, rub some dirt on it, kid. Good. <laughs> but all joking aside, I think we should reinforce the idea that there is a very big difference between embracing the suck and pushing through pain, quote unquote, and blowing through a request for change. Okay. So like I was saying before, let's say you're on the, uh, if you know what an air assault bike is, the machine of death. <laughs> so let's say you're running like intervals on an air assault bike and your legs are just on fire and your lungs are too. And you just feel like you're dead. That is a very different thing. That's something that's a suck, right? Embrace through, embrace the suck, push through that. What is not embrace the suck and push through it is you're hitting snatches and your shoulder has pain every time it clicks in and it's painful and it clicks in it's painful or whatever it is. Every time you hit that snatch, that is not something you probably should be pushing through. That is a request for change. So we need to be able to separate what is something that is a little bit of suck that I can push through and I should be pushing through and what is a request for change and I need to address in some way so that I don't continue to reinforce this experience of whatever this set of circumstances is, is a threat to me and then before I have this pain because then we're just gonna continue to have this pain. So right. we need to know the difference there. And that's why the episode was titled No Pain, No Gain. Because if you K-N-O-W, what is pain you should be embracing and pushing through and what is pain that's a request for change, then you will know or have gains. And that's what life's about is gains. So <laughs> my God. and looking good. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say one thing too, is that I feel like there might be this thought here that if you don't catch pain early, you're always going to be in pain. And I think that that's kind of a misnomer. Like we don't want to spread that just because you don't catch your pain early or get help fast doesn't mean that you have to live in pain. We just have to understand that if it took you two years of snatching and your shoulder being in pain every time you snatched, which God knows how many times snatches are programmed in a wad, you know, it's probably going to take some time to get out of that painful situation and it's not going to change overnight. And, you know, I think that's really important to, to reiterate just because we want to make sure that you know that there's help out there for people who have been in pain for a little bit, people who have been in pain for years. Everyone can be, you know, there can be changes that can be made for everyone. That's our job. <laughs> <laughs> that's our job. Cool part is if we're addressing your pain and we're making those changes, likely it's also going to increase your performance. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't we should, imagine. We should note that as well. Here's one example of that. So... If you have pain in whatever limb, if you're pain in your right arm, whatever it is, do you think your brain is going to allow you to produce maximal force out of it? Yeah, that's a good right? wish. Yeah. So if your brain is sitting there saying, hey, man, every time you're in that snatch position, that overhead position, because we're talking about snatches here, if you're in that position every single time and you have pain, it's perceiving a threat there, it's not going to allow you to produce maximal force there because... It's trying to protect you. Yeah, your brain's not stupid. It's not going to let you put like 300 you, pounds overhead. Like if you just snapped your arm in half, it's not going to say, oh, cool. Now let's go do farmer's carries, right? Yeah, like it's a good idea. Yeah. So it actually will dial the force down. And we've actually, uh, this is a really a cool thing. And this is why we're kind of geeks about this. So in real time, we've actually seen people who come in, they have pain and we do whatever it is that we think is going to really help them decrease that perception of pain whatever inputs that we give them, 
decreases that perception of pain, they therefore will say, hey, it, maybe it doesn't, oh yeah, I'm getting to the snatch position. My shoulder doesn't hurt as much anymore. And then they have a lot more force output out of that arm or leg or whatever it is. And we see that in real time and we actually have devices that measure how much force you can produce for a certain motion or whatever. And um, people are able to produce more yeah. after they their pain is decreased. That's why like when I test someone, I'm never like, oh, this is weak. Because is it actually weak or is it just pain inhibition? Like, are you just, is it being perceived as weak because you're in pain? So like Kyle is saying, we, we see that all the time. Yeah. Oh my God. All the time. But so long story short, gains. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you're in pain and we're helping get out of pain, you're also probably going to have some performance gains. So performance gains after a little bit of performance dial back. Cause you have to start at the beginning. You can't well, just, yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, dial back. Well, that's like doing RX plus RX or scaling a workout. I mean, yeah. I'm sure everybody's heard at some point in their life, although we all deny it, but <laughs> if you scale workouts for your first however long of, of CrossFit, if you scaled them, you'd be so much further ahead today than you were when you first started if you had just scaled them rather than doing the RX or doing the RX Plus because um, whatever motivation, in my case, I'd be ego, but... <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you just want to make sometimes sure that you have you're to strong. Take, yeah, sometimes you have to take a step back yeah. in order to take 10 steps forward type yeah. thing, so... And that's, that's what we kind of bring a lot, shed a lot of light on. You know, it's not, you're not going to lose anything by dialing back. It's more or less in the long run, you'll gain something because you'll be able to have that optimal performance, not have pain, and then gain strength because your brain is allowing you to feel, it feels safe. So it's allowing you to lift more weight. Yeah. And that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to return to the same or better function. So yeah, taking a step back is a temporary change that we might need to make in order to achieve the goals we want in the long run. This is definitely not us saying, if it hurts, just stop doing it. Which no. Oh my some, God. Some providers might. But. That is the worst <laughs> thing ever. Don't yeah. stop moving. That's crazy. Yeah. I, oh, well, if you stop crazy. moving, how are you going to ever change exactly. the experience? Right? Yeah, how are we ever going insane. to introduce the the sensation of safety with the movement? So Yeah. If you have knee pain with squats, please don't stop doing squats. Let's just figure out a safe way to do them so you can keep moving. And then develop new neuro tags. Yeah. <laughs> Let's please do that. Not don't stop. Um, I think that's a good a good place to wrap up. Yeah. So we, yeah. if you guys have any questions about this, because we're nerds and we'd love to talk to you about it. If you have any questions about that, you can get at us probably on Instagram's the best still. Yeah. Uh, at Renegade MVMT Renegade Movement, and send us a DM, comment on a post. Anything. Yeah, we'd love to talk to you. So we'll. Be back next week. We have some exciting guests coming up. So we look forward to bringing them on and we, you know, we'll talk to you next week.